Hello, welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Damien. And I'm Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table, discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want Interdependent Study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. And Aaron, my friend, you're up this week. Mm -hmm. What have you brought to the table today? I am bringing uh, an event, really. Uh, It was a panel discussion of the newly published book called Abolition Feminism Now, uh, which was co-written by Angela Davis, Gina Dent, Erica Miners, and Beth Ritchie. Uh, So the panel was those four authors. It was moderated by Miriam Kaba, who is an amazing author and thinker, uh, in her own right of yeah. abolition feminism, uh, this discussion had a wide range uh, to it. Right, like they, they talked, to, they covered a lot of ground. Yeah, uh, from how they thought of the work of the book, uh, a bit about how the pandemic affected their writing process, mm-hmm. uh, the talk about how their different views of abolition feminism helped guide the project and and what they could include. Yeah, uh, they talked about broadening their view of what is considered to be feminist, mm-hmm. uh, even which I thought was. Super fascinating yeah. part of the conversation. They talked about carceral feminism, feminism, which is something that focuses on incarceration as an as an answer, the answer, the, the main answer, sort of to partner violence. Right. Uh, and they talked about defund the police as a strategy. Um, and then they also discussed the role art plays in movement work. Um, and it was really, it was really cool to just sit in and witness it. Yeah. Right. Just to sort of be not actually in the room with them, uh, but it was virtual. So it was kind of like we were in the room. It's kind of like we were there. Yeah. yeah. Um, just in another Zoom window, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that it was great to sort of sit and wit- witness the conversation and, and see people, see them sort of play off each other and share ideas about the book. Um, so, yeah. What, what stood out to you? Yeah. It it was awesome. Yeah, that's 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 really what it was. It was just this awesome conversation uh, between these really incredible humans. Yeah. I felt like it was a privilege for us to get to sort of watch this and hear from them. I think they're some of the most talented, prolific scholars and authors and organizers uh, and abolitionists. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um uh, that was it was super exciting to be able to to watch this. I'm glad you brought it to the table. You know, their book has been on my to read list now for a little bit. It came out just a little bit ago. Yeah, um, it's only been a few weeks. Only I been think, a few weeks. Yeah. I'm not that behind. No, uh, but no. I I actually just downloaded it, uh, and so I'm looking forward to um, reading it uh, because, like I said, the conversation was amazing. Um, I think. One big thing that stood out to me was how they talked about being abolition feminists mm-hmm. and what abolition feminism is all about, right? And yeah. so I believe it was Beth Ritchie in this panel who said that abolition feminism is all about sort of the everyday acts of resistance that keep us all safe, that bring us joy, uh, and that encourages people, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how abolition feminists are committed to building the world that we want to see. And, you know, it reminded me of uh, the fact that I think I've also I've seen some other conversations that they've done in interviews that they've done about this book. So I feel like they're sort of maybe on a on a little bit of a press junket. Yeah. Um, and they've all talked about the fact that 
abolition feminism is all about doing sort of this everyday grinding work to attend to people both individually and collectively, uh, you know, and to get people free, right? But at the same time, like as you're doing that work, right, you're trying to also attend to these big structural issues that we face as a society as well, right? And yeah. so um, it's it's difficult work, right? Mm-hmm. It is it, it is all encompassing all-encompassing kind of work. Um, and so, again, it was just sort of a privilege, I think. That was just, you know, sort of initially as I thought about my notes and what I wanted to sort of come out the gate with, right? Just being impressed by and in awe of how they talk about what abolition feminism is um, and, uh, you know, just sort of hear from them what it means to them and, and what they've been able to do. So um, I just, um, you know, again, feel honored to have been able to, get the chance to listen to them talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. That that's a great way to put it is like all all the stuff that they shared and that piece that Beth Ritchie shared um, about it being this everyday work too. Um, Yeah. It's not, um, it's not just like this, the big lofty things. Yes. It's it's what, it's how you do the work too. Yes. Right. Um, Which is actually ties into one of the things um, that I appreciate about when they talked about the, uh, how they wrote the book yeah right? uh is at the beginning of the conversation i think it was the first question that miriam, miriam asked. actually yeah. asked yeah mm-hmm. um was the the way they wrote the book mirrored the values of abolition feminism yes. and, that, and that kind of work which is inherently collaborative uh and driven by relationships so yes. they felt like they couldn't write it any other way right, right. They, there wasn't a way that one of them could have written the book alone and it be as good or powerful as it is um Again, even though neither of us yes. have read it yet, um, but yeah, they they felt they had to invite people with different thoughts of abolition feminism into the shared process to create something new. Um, that's looks like it's it's a history of abolition feminism, yeah. bringing together different pieces of movement work to show the trajectory of the intersections of the prison and industrial complex, um, and and the abolition of of that with. Mm-hmm feminism as a movement uh and this whole part of the conversation meant uh, meant a lot to me because i think we as a culture are stuck in the kind of ends justify the means thinking Mm. Uh, and i think that we know that the process of how things are done affect the end results and they're inseparable in actual practice like if you you do something at the end and it's not the process is messed up in some way even if you get a good result, the people who were part of that process or maybe left out of that process don't it doesn't feel like a good result to them, even if it's the quote unquote right decision that you ended up with. Right. Like the, those things are interconnected, intertwined. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Right. I like yeah. this idea of the process is important. And they talked a lot about that. And um, so I think that's a really good sort of um takeaway from what they were talking about there. I also really appreciated, like you, you mentioned the idea of history and they talked about the history of, uh, uh abolition feminism, right. And sort of bringing, making sure that that was highlighted in the book and this timeline. Yeah. So that's just another reason why I really want to pick this book up and read it because mm-hmm. I feel like there's lots to learn there about where we've been and yeah. the work that has been done. Um, and so I, I appreciate the fact that they, and we've talked a lot about history on this, on this podcast, right. And how important that is, um, to know about and to recognize. So I'm glad you brought that up. I, I, I'm excited about that. And I love that part of the the panel conversation. And, and 
also just really enjoyed them talking about that process, right? Of writing this book. You know, they also did this in the midst of COVID, right? Like they did this at the start of the pandemic. And so, you know, they talked about, you know, how they had to sort of navigate what it took to organize together, to be in community with one another, right? Um, And to make this happen, but to also how do you deal with disagreements, right? Or challenges that come up when you have sort of multiple authors trying to create something like this book, right? And again, to do it over Zoom, right? They were having all these virtual meetings to sort of make that happen and to do that in the midst of a pandemic that they're all experiencing, but they also know has an effect on, you know, their communities, right? And on real people. And so um, I, I, I loved sort of hearing that process, um, sort of the how of the how that they wrote this book, but also like how that process mirrors, as you said, like what they value um, Mm -hmm. and, and mirrors sort of abolition feminism too. So I thought that was remarkable in and of itself. Um, But I think also like this process speaks to what's important and central to abolition feminism as well. And so one of the things that Gina Dent talked about was how important it was to them to sort of register the problem of how history often erases black feminism. Yes. Yeah. Right. She brought that up. And so, you know, again, this, this, this notion of history and its importance, it was important for them to include that in this book. Um, And, you know, they obviously talked about it in this panel as well. And so again, that's just another great reason to sort of pick up this book and to have sort of this record of, of history at our fingertips uh, Mm -hmm. around movement work and around abolition feminism. Yeah. Cause I think that that point was so important because the things you, these, these two things, uh, usually get separated yes. when they are, in fact, usually intertwined. Um, sort of abolition and f- black feminism, yes, um, in a lot of ways are, are intertwined in yes. the history, and I think that that's what they were, um, yeah, highlighting. Yeah, is, is that these things are connected, and that was part of the conversation too, where they would show up on panels together and be like, "Well, where's the." Yes. Where's the feminism in this Mm -hmm. or where is the and feeling like they couldn't um, bring those pieces into the conversation in in a um, meaningful. It it felt like they didn't fit based on um, the context. This is my interpretation. Yeah. It didn't fit based on the context of the person asking the question. Yes. Right. And so it felt like um, it it wasn't a, a natural part of the conversation, which in and of itself is a concern. Yes. Right. And I, yeah, I felt like that was a really, um, important piece to, for them to highlight of, of why they wrote the book. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And then, so one of the, one of the things that Beth Ritchie said, um, was things get called failures and we don't return to the lessons on them. Yes. What looks like it's not working now can teach us a lot about what needs to work next time. It may not work out this time, and our job is to try to figure out why and try again and again and again. And, you know, this reminded me of the point that I made last week um, when I was talking about the victories to be found in the so-called failure of question two in Minneapolis. Um, Because we actually, we watched this right after, like a few hours after we recorded last week's episode. And so it was fresh on my mind that, like, Oh, yes. Like Like these things are connecting um, in terms of, you know, not everything. And and the panelists in that discussion talked about that, too, is like not everything that is a a quote unquote failure means that it's we we got nothing out of it. Right. Um, 
you know, a, lo a lot of the work is trial and error of, of what's working right now and what's what's not. Um, we have to find out what doesn't work to find the things that do work. And some of the things sometimes we find out things like, you know, if we talk about public safety holistically, people are generally on board with that and not opposed to rethinking what that means. Yeah, um, we just we have to think about how we approach that and what is the next step beyond that to get people um, a little bit closer to or to get more people closer to voting yes on something like question two yes. or, or pursuing those kinds of policies um, in, a, in a bigger, um, I guess, proportion. Absolutely. Oh, I love that connection. I love that connection. Yeah, because we did watch this. I had, sorry, I had forgotten about that. Yeah. that. Those things happened in the same day that we we recorded and, and watched this in the same day. So, yeah, the it's incredible then to think about all of these great sort of abolitionists that we got to sort of <laughs> think about and hear from on the same day, talk about yep. this notion of failure um, and how important it is, right? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think if I recall correctly, sort of Beth was talking about the notion of failure because Miriam Kaba had asked them this question about what it means to say that abolition feminism is a method and and how it sort of highlights the work of small networks and the failures in this work, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and I just remember, like, she asked that question. I thought, that's a really good question, right? Yeah. And of, I mean, she's an incredible person, so of course she asked it. But right. I, so it was, it was an incredible question. And then, you know, they sort of acknowledged the importance of that. Um, and so I'm glad you made that connection. I've also seen or read Erica talk about failures too, right? About how she said something to the effect of like how abolition feminism is again about movements building the world that we need. And sometimes that work is slow, right? And sometimes there are failures, right? And so like you said, what abolition feminism, feminists are committed to and, and what the authors remind us of in this book is the importance of learning from those lessons. Um, and uh, learning from the lessons of our failures in this work, right? But while still staying in the work, right? Still yeah. staying committed to the work. Um, and I think you were sort of getting to this idea of like, whether or not that's a sort of a ballot measure, whether or not mm -hmm. that's a mutual aid issue, whether or not that's yeah. a, that's a, we have to figure out what people need on the ground right now, day to day to survive, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe we didn't get it right for this community, but we need to get it right here. Like it means so much. And that failure can be on sort of an individual level, collective level, this grand thing, this small thing, you know, there are going to be failures, but what do we learn from them? How do we recalibrate what we're doing um, to get there? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it could be from large things to at large and public things to yes. very small scale, like, um, you know, interpersonal things amongst organizers where yeah. there's some kind of um, conflict or, or maybe even harm caused mm -hmm. um, and, and figuring out how we address those things as we go right later on. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so speaking of, of Miriam Cabell a little bit. Um, in the discussion, she brought up this idea of timelines yes. as a way to track the history of movement work. Um, so she asked each panelist to share what are some things that they would put on the timeline for abolition feminism. Um, and there was just so much that they brought. <laughs> so much. Um, but, so, you know, she she asked um, them to share one thing each. Uh, and I don't think anybody shared one. No. Thing. They, they all share multiple. Um, but... Um, they mentioned Critical Resistance, which is an organization we have talked about a few times on the podcast. Yeah. Um, 
and their statement on gender violence in the prison industrial complex. Um, they talked about the No Cop Academy campaign, mm-hmm. uh, which I believe we first heard about in Mariam Kaba's book, We Do This Till We Free Us. Yes. Right? Um, talked about Sisters Inside in Brisbane, Australia, uh, and a bunch of other great work. Uh, and I feel like there is this notion from a lot of folks who are just hearing about prison abolition as a concept or movement that this is something new. Yeah. Um, when in fact it's decades old mm-hmm. and there's work to prove that. Um, and that means that these are not um, naive ideas that people are just making up on the spot. Right. right. They're they're based in the reality of people's experiences over the course of decades and decades of, of work and organizing. And um, so I, I, um, I felt really grounded in that moment when they started talking about those things because I was like, yeah, look at the rich history yeah. that they are drawing upon to um, in some ways make connection to the work that's happening now yes. and the work that people are doing now uh, and the demands that people are making now. It's not... It's, it's not from nothing. It's right. from a lot. It's from a lot of history. Absolutely. Right. And again, connecting to your last point about failures, what we just talked about with failures, right? Yeah. Like they didn't shy away from sharing all of that in this book. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it is talking about this history and what has occurred um, and what has been successful, but also what has not been successful. Right. And what organize, what organizations are doing um, to, to address this. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, that was such a an incredible part of this conversation. I think that's it's a it's a great point to say that this work has been happening for quite a long time now. And so yeah. um, I think it sounds like they spent a good amount of their book talking about and highlighting sort of this this history and timeline for uh, abolition feminism. And you mentioned a couple, but they brought up mm-hmm. quite a few organizations oh, yeah. that they. Uh, that they sort of mentioned in this book. And there, uh, to be honest, there are quite a few I hadn't heard of, like just in oh, the, yeah. uh, with them talking about it. And the, the the panel itself was also really beautiful. Haymarket Books did a shout out to them, right? We should have said that they're the ones that sort of hosted this. Yeah, um, They had up, you know, visuals, right? Like artwork and, and um, help me out here, like posters. Yeah, there's and, some zines they showed yes. and yeah, a, a lot of, a lot of, uh, really great visuals as they uh, were yeah. talking about mm-hmm. this, right? And it was from these, or, a lot of those sort of, um, a lot of the, the the imagery was from these organizations, right? Yeah. And some of the work that they've done. And so, um, again, there, there are so many organizations that I haven't heard of. And I'm sure as when I read this book and I'm looking forward to it, um, that I'm really excited just to learn more about the work that's been done by these, mm-hmm. by these organizations, right? Um, I think connected to that, I'm so glad you brought that up, is this idea of, they talked a lot about internet, internationalization right of abolition right and so i think the problems that are associated with what abolition and abolition feminism are trying to address don't just exist here in the united states right and so you know these are global issues and there's i think there's lots that we can learn from what has happened and and is happening in in other countries so that's another important sort of aspect of this and of what abolition feminism is um, and again, I think there's lots that, you know, again, speaking honestly, like there's a lot that are, that's happening in these other countries that I don't know about yeah. to the full degree. And, you know, I think these incredible scholars brought all of that to this book. So I can't wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's always things that I think people are learning, uh, in terms of, you know, these, um, pri- prisons, 
right? And the prison systems, they're learning from each other. Yes. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, the United States is leading the way. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of, I think, uh, sharing of, of how these things work. Um, and so understanding how things are working in other countries helps, helps people see and notice patterns of when things start, start to get adopted uh, across, um, across different countries. So, yeah. Um, so, um, one of the things that, uh, one of the other things I wanted to talk about was the, the way that the group, um, they brought up uh, toward the end of the discussion. Um, they brought up this question um, or uh-huh. this quote. Uh, I think um, I know where you're going. Yeah, that guided them um, throughout the book, uh, and they included it early on. And uh, Erica Miners had suggested it for the book, but it's from uh, Mari Matsuda. Yes, as uh, a critical race theorist, um, and is um, it's really about always asking the other question. Yes. Uh, and so Angela Davis described it in this way. If something is racist, where is the heteropatriarchy in this? If something is homophobic, where are the class interests in this? Um, so she described it as this way to see the interconnect- interconnectedness of all these systems in order to find hope that is generative and, and helps build something outside of these systems so that they're being challenged. Uh, and I thought that that was... Um, such an important sort of framework for yes. them to use to think about like, you know, what, what's the other question here we need to ask if, if we see all these things playing out, what's the other thing playing out here too? Yeah. Um, and how are these things all interconnected? So absolutely. Ah, uh, yeah, that was, that was incredible. Um, this sort of this idea of asking the other question, I think really sp- spoke to me. Um, and so I love the fact that they pulled um, Mari Matsuda's words and work and sort of grounded sort of their exploration of abolition feminist feminism with that question in mind, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, I think in addition to what you said or, or sort of building on what you said, like I love this idea of what of asking other question and its connections to abolition feminism as a way to encourage us to keep the process going. Right. And so, right. To keep asking questions, right. To keep naming things. Right. Um, Or I think about it in the context of our podcast and what we say every time, right. Like to, to keep learning and unlearning. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I think that's core to this work that we're doing as individuals, but we're doing with each other and that we're doing sort of on this collective scale and for the, for the collective good. And so, yeah. right. Yeah. 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 So I, I asking the other question. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Absolutely. <laughs> um, all right. This feels like a good spot to shift and okay. talk about application and how uh, this whole thing fits into and applies to our day to day lives. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, as uh has probably been evident throughout the conversation. I loved this discussion that we got to sit in on and witness. Yes. Um, there are lots of things in it that I think are directly applicable to our lives, um, whether we consider ourselves abolitionist feminists or not. Yeah. Um, that was, um, yeah, that was clear to me as I was reading through, like, what are, what are the things I took notes on? Like, um, you know, the, the notion of continuing to try things. Yeah. Um, even if you fail, right? The notion of asking the other question to see what else is at play in a situation, right? Um, those are things that you don't 
necessarily need to be a you know uh, a rad like that. That's that's broadly applicable Absolutely. to people's lives. Um, but w- the one thing I I want to focus on is that the process and the results are tied together intricately. Mm. Um, you know, I said this earlier in a different way that I thought about it is you can't make justice out of an unjust process. Mm. You can't create freedom from a process that reifies oppression. So we have to think about the methods that we all use and whether they live up to our values of justice and liberation, because otherwise we're falling short. Man, that's great. That's great application. Um, I think, and I think sort of what they talked about towards the end of like, I think Miriam asked them this question. It was sort of a, it was, it was multiple questions, but one piece of it was like, what do you hope people get out of this book? Mm -hmm. And I think that's it, right? So you talked about this idea of whether or not you're, you know, and you consider yourself to be an abolition feminist or not, right? Like there are pieces of this book that I think you can apply right. um, to your thinking and to your everyday life. And I think that is something that they want folks to get from this book, it sounds like. Um, and so I love that. Uh, I love that. Um, and that these pieces are tied together intricately. Yeah, that's great. I think... I love that because I think it's why I resonate with what we've done here to adopt when we were, we've, I think we've done this a number of times, right? Like we, when we talk about the criminal justice system, we've sort of intentionally changed our language and started to refer to it as the criminal punishment system. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. I think that's a more accurate description of what it is. Yeah. It's, it's driven by punishment. Right. It's yeah. driven by punishment, right? It's, yeah. it's this harmful machine that, that, that centers punishment, that centers harm. And so, mm-hmm. um, let me, let me co-sign your application there. I think to take it maybe a step further, uh, you know, they talked about, um, I think towards the end of their conversation, um, again, what they hoped for folks to get out of this book and, Part of it is, as you said, the process and the results are linked, but it's also the reminder that the work of abolition is important, right? And Mm -hmm. so Erica talked about the fact that they use this phrase, slow work in urgent times in this book. And I just thought that that was a brilliant phrase, you know, and also connects to the reminder that this abolition work is important and it's going to take time to get us to the place that we want and need to be, right? But that's what we have to keep chipping away at to get there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to keep reading these books. We have to keep having these conversations and figuring out how to get there. You know, we, you and I, we watched this together, right? And afterwards yeah. we just had this, like, I don't know, it was 30 minute conversation about sort of, well, what are we thinking now? Like, mm-hmm. where should we go? What should we do as a society? Um, you know, how do we take what we just witnessed and how can we apply it and i just sort of i i I loved that conversation that you and i got to have and so i want to keep doing that i want to keep reading books like this i want to keep having these conversations and and doing this work because it's it's so important and slow work urgent times that's where we're at yeah and i think that that was a something that's that i remember writing down in my notes too um we don't we don't usually um watch or read stuff together um for the podcast um so this was a this was a an unusual circumstance but we we were both (laughs) clickety clacking taking notes um when when she said that so yeah absolutely i think that it's um it's slow work i think it's deliberate work too right like it's 
it's also um, thoughtful, right? Like what thoughtful um, and and um, heartful. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Um, right, like because I think that's part of the that's part of changing the processes is that things have to also center sort of um, our emotional selves as well yes. um, and, and how we're feeling in things and, and honoring that piece of, of our humanity as well. Yes. Um, so I think that that, uh, yeah, it's deliberate, right? It's, it's, it's not just slow. It's slow because it's deliberate. Absolutely. Probably. That's it. Um, and so, yeah, I loved that phrase too. Um, all right, let's talk about homework. All right. Um, so what is it that we feel like we need to do to keep learning from this discussion? Um, well, I'm just going to take the obvious one and say we got to read the book. Ah, um, of course. <laughs> but, yes. Know, I don't – this was – there, there's lots of other homework that I yeah. think is, no. is clear um, as part of this conversation. Um, but the, the, <laughs> the obvious one is read a book. Yeah. Um, so the, here's a part from the description on the back cover of the book, actually. Okay. is uh, It says, amplifying the analysis and the theories of change generated from vibrant community-based organizing, Abolition Feminism Now traces necessary historical genealogies, key internationalist learnings, and everyday practices to grow our collective and flourishing present and futures. Mm. That's great. We've Yes, I agree. We've got to read this book. Um, I just got it on my Kindle. Um, so I'm super excited to start reading it, uh, next week and maybe we should bring it to the table in a future episode. What do you oh, think? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. great. I didn't think I'd have much resistance there at all. Um, you know, I also want to read some other work by Gina Dent, Erica Miners and Beth Ritchie, because I'm not as familiar with some of their other work as I am with the one and only Angela Davis. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. and so, uh, but listening to them talk and again as you said sort of being in this space with them it it, it felt like an honor uh to be in in community with them um and to to hear their sort of reflections on all of this and more um in this process of writing this book and what abolition feminism means to them and the work that they do um, and why this is important and so i i want to check out some of what they've produced as well because i think they're yeah. brilliant yeah absolutely um, yeah, I was, uh, that was one of the things I was really appreciative of too, is that it introduced me to some other folks that I had yeah. not heard, uh, ha- hadn't heard as much about their work. Yes. Uh, and so that was really, uh, really a highlight for me too, uh, in terms of, of, of this, uh, um, event, okay. panel? discussion, the yeah, panel. Event. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Wow, just losing the words here at the end. I love it. All it's right. just because we're so excited about it. It yeah. was it was incredible. Again, it, what it's on Haymarket Books this website. It's on uh, their yep. YouTube page, so you can mm-hmm. you can if you haven't checked it out yet, you can listen to this panel slash event slash conversation. Yeah, uh, anytime. Um, yeah, it's on the Haymarket Books uh, YouTube page. Again, shout out to Haymarket Books um, for hosting it. Um, if you want to buy the book, um, you get it directly from Haymarket Books. Yep, um, that's what I did. Yeah. Uh, and they will they'll give you an ebook if you're into ebooks. You can also buy a physical copy, um, which I believe when's this coming out? It's coming out in February. Yes. So it's still Black History Month, hey. and there's a lot of deals on um, yes uh, on um, Black History related things, which I believe this book is connected to. Yes. So um, on their site. So 
just a, a shameless plug for Haymarket Books and uh, buying directly from independent publish- publishers. Yes. Um, all right, that's enough uh, that. <laughs> so, Damon, you're up next time. What do you bring to the table in our next episode? I am up. All right, so next week I'm going to bring an article to the table, and it's called After Amir Locke Killing, Is Police Reform Even the Solution? Mm. Um, it was written by someone named Ernest Owens uh, for Rolling Stones. What's on their website if you want to check that out. Um, For anyone who hasn't heard of Amir Locke, he was a 22-year-old black man who was fatally shot earlier this month by the Minneapolis Police Department while they were executing a no-knock warrant. And sort of it was the Minneapolis Police and their sort of SWAT division that bursted into his home in violation of state law and murdered him while he was asleep. Uh, as again, as they were trying to execute this warrant, but he actually was not the suspect in question that they were looking for. And so, uh, Amir Locke is just yet another black man who has been murdered by police violence in this country. Mm-hmm. And so I want to talk about that partially because, uh, Amir Locke's murder has, and there are lots of reasons why, and I won't, maybe I'll save this for, for next time. There, his murder has been particularly upsetting to me, mm-hmm. and I don't think that enough people are talking about him and about his life, but also about what's happening. I think there's, there's some uprising yet again happening in Minneapolis, um, but I, I, I don't feel like enough people are talking about it. And so I want to bring attention to this situation in this case. I will say that I haven't read the article yet, but... Ernest Owens, I think, in this piece is examining the Amir Locke case and other sort of instances of police violence to make the argument that police reform isn't working, right? And you said something earlier. You said you can't make justice out of an unjust process when we were talking about application. Yep. And so I literally, like, (laughs) was like, remember that. He (laughs) He said that, remember it. And I think that is exactly what... Ernest Owens is getting to in this piece. So again, it's called After a Mirror Lock Killing is Police Reform Even the Solution uh, on Rolling Stone. Uh, so I'm looking forward to reading the article and talking about it uh, and talking about this whole situation with you yeah. next week. Definitely. Um, yeah, it's another example of how outrageous the, the system is. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, we want to thank you for joining us today, for listening to Interdependent Study. You know what we're going to ask you to do here, but you might have forgotten. Um, <laughs> follow, uh, leave us a rating, review, share a podcast with the people in your life. Um, follow us on social media. Uh, sign up for our email list to get notified about any new things we got going on behind the scenes. Absolutely. Hey, folks, thanks so much for listening. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. We'll talk to you next week.